I'm so glad that you're here this morning. You guys are like, we're not. Amen. <laughs> Listen, man, I know how these things work. Some of y'all are here under duress. Some of you guys are like, I'm only going one week. Oh, that's fine, man. I'm, you're still here. Amen. And your family has put you in the center of the aisle so you can't leave. <laughs> totally fine. Man. Totally fine. Uh, I didn't say this first service, but, um, dude, super happy about the turnout at our Easter egg, uh, event yesterday. It was good. We had a good time. God kept up, kept off the rain. All right, let's, uh, let's pray over this message. Father God, we love you. We praise you. We glorify you today in the mighty name of Jesus. God, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it's alive and that it's active and that it's sharper than any double-edged sword. God, we pray today that you'd use this word to change us, challenge us, and to convict us. God, we so desperately need you in our lives, God. We need you to guide us. Father, as I've prepared this week, God, would you please speak through this message, God. Use it mightily to change people's lives in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Have you ever been offended by what someone said or did? Yeah, of course, man. Upset is what, uh, upset at what was said. Uh, usually when you get offended, it's because someone makes fun of you or they spoke against something that you believe in. Someone double crosses you and, and offense is something that makes you feel uncomfortable. Uh, my friend Brack would say that offense is a choice, but, uh, <laughs> most of the times that people get offended is because it's true. That's what usually sets people off. Uh, my grandma passed away a, a few years ago, but I remember um, shortly after Crystal and I had gotten married and I hadn't seen my grandma in a, in a while, and I came into her living room in Coeur d'Alene and I came out and I said, Grandma, it's so good to see you. And she said, Matt, you're looking a little portly. <laughs> Thanks, Grandma. Perfect. Nice to see you too. It's partly your fault and all the treats and goodies that you give me. But it was true. I was kind of portly at that season. But it was Crystal's fault. She had been feeding me. Today, I may offend you. As you're sitting here, I may offend you. But it's okay. Why? Because my goal today is to tell you the truth. It's who I am. What do we celebrate on Easter? We're here today celebrating the resurrection of Jesus. In 1 Corinthians 15, 3 through 8, it says, For I delivered to you first of all, of which I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that He was buried, and that He rose again on the third day according to the Scriptures, and that He was seen by Cephas, and then the twelve. After that, he was seen by over 500 brethren at once of whom the greatest, excuse me, of whom the greater part remain to the present, but some have fallen asleep. After that, he was seen by James, then by all the apostles. Then last of all, he was seen by me also as by one born out of due time. The fact that Jesus Christ is risen is a historical fact. Today we serve a risen Savior that was crucified, put in a tomb, the stone was rolled away, and He was risen from the dead. And Christ rising from the dead is, is why we celebrate Easter, but it's not the main reason why we do. The main reason why we do is what that means that He rose from the dead. 
What it means is that our sins have been forgiven and that through faith in Him we could live forever with Him. Now, I don't know where you're at today, man. There's a bunch of different types of people that come to church on Easter. Maybe this is your home church. Praise God. Maybe you're here under duress. Praise God. Maybe you're looking for a church. You're Easter egg hunt. Maybe you don't even believe in any of this. Maybe you think it's all a bunch of mumbo jumbo. I'm fine with all that stuff. Because here's what I do know is that if, if Christ wasn't risen from the dead, this whole thing is a waste, man. Like if you want to find a place to argue Christianity and argue the point, argue the point of the resurrection. Because if that's not true... Everything that we do is a total and complete waste of time. It's a total and complete waste of time. We're still in our sin. We're stupid and we're wasting our lives. That's what the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 15 uh, verse 12. It says, now if Christ is preached that he has been raised from the dead, how do some among you say there's no resurrection of the dead? See, because the promise of Christ's resurrection is the promise of our own resurrection. But if there's no resurrection of the dead, us, then Christ is not risen. And if Christ is not risen, then our preaching, what I'm doing to you right now, is empty. And all of you that believe this, your faith is also empty. Yes, and we are found false witnesses of God because we have testified of God that he raised up Christ whom he did not raise up, if in fact the dead do not rise. For if the dead do not rise, then Christ is not risen. And if Christ is not risen, then your faith is futile. You are still in your sins. Then also those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in this life we only have hope in Christ, we are of all men the most pitiable. Now this morning, I'm not going to argue with you the proof of the resurrection. It's one of the most documented events in antiquity. You can go read books. You can watch movies. We don't have time to talk about all the books that have been written about the truthfulness of the resurrection and the claim of it. What we're going to talk about this morning is the cross of Christ. Because the the dividing line between people believing in Jesus Christ is not his resurrection, it's his cross. It's It's easy to believe that God can raise somebody from the dead. What's hard to believe is what the cross represents. What it means to you in your life. What it means to me in my life. Why? Because the cross is an offense. The cross is offensive. Most people have an, have, have, a, have an opinion about the cross. You ask me, hey, what do you think about Jesus? They're like, eh. What do you think about the cross? Well, you know, what's interesting about Jesus, everybody has an opinion about the cross. Why? Because it's an offense. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians one twenty three, but we preach Christ crucified to the Jews a stumbling block and to the Greeks foolishness. And if you don't believe in the cross of Christ, if you don't believe in the crucifixion, death, burial, and resurrection, you think uh, those of us that do are fools. It's an offense to you the way that we live. It's an offense to you the way that we believe. Now you may not even understand what that idea of the cross is. And well, let me explain it to you. The, the, The cross, when I say the cross, it is a short description of Jesus Christ of Nazareth being, uh, hung on a cross. On a wooden structure in the shape of a T. The process of crucifixion wasn't invented for Jesus Christ. It was the way in which Rome and the Romans uh, uh, punished evildoers, criminals. So what they would do is they would bring these people out into the public square. And they would strip them uh, naked and make a display of who they were. 
Crucifixion was the most publicly excruciating, which is actually the place where the word excruciating comes from crucifixion. I would, I would watch you to say I'm having excruciating pain. Because crucifixion was the most publicly excruciating, humiliating way that a person could die. And, and the goal of crucifixion for the Romans was very simple. We are going to publicly crucify this person uh, in such a horrible way that everybody that sees this crucifixion will not want to experience what this person experienced and not do what this person had done. They would strip them naked in the public square, beat them to the edge of death. And they were, they were so macabre that they, they didn't want to, they didn't want them to die until they got on the cross. So they would beat them to the edge of death. And then they would take a hundred pound beam, put it on the offender's back, wrap it with, with rope and make them carry it to the place where they had put a stake in the ground. And then they would hang them on this cross. Or excuse me, they'd hang it on on the post. They probably didn't even call it a cross back then. Hung it on the post with their arms outstretched. And it was so macabre what they did to this already near-death person that then they would they would put nails into their hands, into their feet, so that they would hang there. Now this person's already dying. They've already been beaten. They've already been humiliated. And they're standing there, uh, bleeding to death. And then because the Romans are so macabre, what they would do is they would actually place a, a small platform underneath the feet of the offender. So uh, the, the, the goal of crucifixion is death, but it's also to actually, uh, you know, make them feel the longest uh, time for the most amount of pain. And so uh, what happens is that you would actually die of asphyxiation because you, your arms would be up like this and you, you'd have to hold yourself up and then you would come down like this and you just couldn't breathe any longer. So they put a, a, a small uh, place for them to stand because in human nature you want to live as long as possible so the person could actually stand up and be able to breathe and all it would do would just prolong their death. And if that wasn't enough, if that person uh, was still alive, they would come by and they would stab them in their side or in their genitals. They would accelerate the process and then just leave them on the cross to eventually die from asphyxiation, dehydration, or animal attacks in the middle of the night. But here's the kick of it though, is that our Jesus who died this criminal's death, he wasn't deserving of the death that he died. He was sinless. Pilate then went out again and said to them, Behold, I am bringing him out to you that you may know that I find no fault in him. Why is this cross such an offense? Why why, why do people get so upset with our Jesus, with this idea of a sinless man dying a criminal's death, rising from the dead and saying, Everybody can be changed. It's an offense because it says that we're filled with sin. The bloody, horrible public death that Jesus died was because of the sin of you and I. None of us had even been born yet thousands of years ago, but the penalty of our sin, our wrongdoings, the way that we had lived against God and his ideals is what sent Jesus to the cross. And this is an offense. It's offensive. If, if, if I, after church, went out to the parking lot and I, and I beat somebody to death because of what you have done wrong in your life, I hope that it would produce an emotional response in you. If I, if I sat there and I, and I beat them to a, a, a bloody death and I looked and I said, this is because of what you did. How would you respond? Would you stand like, well, you know, it's, it's not anything to me. See, see, none of that would have happened if we had lived perfect lives before God, but we hadn't. 
People lying, stealing, cheating, lusting, greed, envy, worship of false idols, disobedience, all of it. The, the, the story of Easter is that you and I, all of us, were born into sin and we needed to be forgiven by God. God wanted relationship with us so he sent Jesus to pay the penalty for our sins so that through faith in him we could have an eternal relationship with God and live forever with him. Romans 5.8 says, but God demonstrates his own love towards us that in while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. See, admitting the fact that you're full of sin is, it's an offense. No one likes to admit that they are a dirty, nasty person in need of a savior. Have any of you ever been to the dentist before? Now, if you want to feel like you're less than, go to the dentist. And I don't know what it is, but when you go in to see the dentist, like for me, I always get this worked up feeling of shame and guilt before, like even as you're setting the appointment, you're just admitting that something's wrong, right? And then you show up and there's always just like this look like, because there's two types of people, right? There's people that lie about flossing and people that floss. So, you know, a couple of days before you go, you're in there and you're digging your teeth. Listen, man, if you are not a flosser and you want to learn to be a flosser, dig that stuff out, smell it, and you'll never miss a day of flossing the rest of your life. You will, you will pull it out every single, you'll do it after every meal. Ooh. See, I, I can honestly say I'm a flosser. Why? Because I had a root canal 10 years ago and it cost me $2,000. And after that, I'm like, you know what? I'm going to be a flosser. And so I've been a flosser for 10 years. Last month, uh, this root canal that I had 10 years ago, interestingly enough, I started to have some tooth pain. Um, and, and so I, I, I had to make the appointment to go to the dentist. I went to my dentist and they said, oh man, there's a big problem with your tooth. You got to go to the specialist. I'm like, cha-ching, sounds great. So then, uh, <laughs> so then you go to the, 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 <laughs> the, the specialist and, and then as I'm walking, as I'm walking back to the thing, I'm already stating my case to this person, right? I'm like, well, you know, I'm a flosser. I, I didn't, I didn't used to be, but now I am. And I can tell you, I floss every day. I brush my teeth literally two to three times a day sometimes. And, and, and she says, I've heard that before. I'm like, no, I'm serious, man. I promise you, I really am a flosser. So the dentist comes in and come to find out I did an x-ray. Uh, teeth have, I guess, three or four roots. And my first root canal that I had, they missed the fourth root. And the fourth root had gotten infected. And so I had a lot of tooth pain. See, the the interesting part of the story is that there was infection inside of me that wasn't necessarily my fault that I couldn't fix myself. There's a sermon in there somewhere. I had to admit that I needed somebody outside of myself to fix the problem inside of me that was going to destroy me. Because the truth is, you can die from an infected tooth. You can get an abscess and you can die. Admitting the problem is embarrassing, but you cannot fix yourself. I want you to understand this morning that God loves you wherever you're at in life, but He wants to change you. God's love for you is not his approval of your life. 
It's not at all. Isaiah 53, 5 says, but he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him and by his stripes, we are healed. And the culmination of his love for you, the last ditch effort that he exacted was to send Jesus to die a a, a bloody death to pay for your sin so that you could have a way to spend eternity with him. The Bible says in Romans 3.23 that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. See, the cross is an offense because it says that there's only one way to heaven. Now, you're currently living in a world that wants to make everything acceptable. There's no definitive rules in the society that we live anymore. They'll bend anything to anybody's thoughts to say, well, anything can be anything. You can literally tell people that water is wet and they'll want to argue with you. Well, you know. And so when you make a definitive statement to say there is one way to heaven and it's through Jesus Christ, it's an offense. John 14, 6, Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Oftentimes people will say, Matt, you're, you're, you're being pretty exclusionary, saying that no one gets to go to heaven unless they're a believer in Jesus Christ. But this isn't a claim that I make. It's a claim that Jesus makes. Jesus makes the claim, if you want to go to heaven... You can only get there through me. There is no other way except through me. You do not get to heaven by going to church. You don't go to heaven by being a part of a religion or because your parents were Christians or because you read your Bible. No other religion on this earth, according to the scriptures, will make it to heaven. And it's not my claim. It's a claim that the Bible makes. Am I condemning people with that belief? Am I condemning people with that statement? I'm condemning no one. The Bible condemns those people. The Bible says in John 3.18, He who believes in Him is not condemned, but he who does not believe is condemned already, because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son. The Bible says in Acts 4.12, Nor is there salvation in any other, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. And that's an offense. That's a challenge that's not easily accepted to tell you if you want to spend eternity with Jesus, there's only one way. And in a world in which we live that no one wants to make definitive statements about anything, it's offensive. I served in the U.S. Army from 1997 to 2003. And if you don't know much about the Army, it's pretty simple. They tell you what to do, how to do it, and change everything about you. They shave your head, put the clothes on you. And and the Army's pretty simple. You shut up and you do what you're told. Like, that's just... My brother told me that before I went in. Now, he was kind of in the military. He was in the Air Force. And uh, he said, uh, he said, if you want to, if you want to, if you want to... I'm sorry, Mikey and Martha. It went, the door was cracked and I just walked through. But he said, he said, if you want to get through, just do everything that they say, no matter how dumb that it sounds. And so you go through all of this training and they train you how to do everything, whether to t- tie your shoes and roll your socks and everything. So basically trains about nine months, uh, excuse me, nine weeks at Fort Leonard Wood. Um, and at the end of it, 
they uh, do a culmination of the training and everything that you've learned and everything that you've done. And part of that is a physical training test. And so the physical training test is a two mile run, two minutes, as many pushups as you can do, two minutes, as many sit-ups as you can do. Now it, it, it might strike you as surprising, but back then I had a body like a Greek God. Um, I, why are you guys laughing, man? I told y'all I was going to tell the truth this morning. Chris will tell you that's when she met me. Tell him, baby. Come on. <laughs> and so, and, 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 and literally, I, I was in the best shape of my life. And I, I wanted to get there. If you pass the, t- you have to pass the test, but the, the real PT studs can get a 300 on their, on their PT test. And so you max out push-ups, max out sit-ups, max out the, the two mile run, 300, you get a badge, you, you know, woo. You're awesome. So that was my goal, man. And I worked towards it. My PT score just kept increasing through the whole entire time. So it's the day before the final PT test. And we're just doing some kind of like basic uh, training stuff, reiterating what we had already learned. And one of the things that we learned was with our weapon, the M16 Alpha 2. Um, and and they're, training, they're retraining us on how to load your weapon, how to clear your weapon, how to get ready to fire. I don't remember all the steps. It's been 25 years. But this part I do remember is that you pull the charging handle back, you go whatever, and then the drill sergeant's there, and there's like 25 of us standing there, and we're just doing it by, by the numbers. I will teach you. And so the, as he's training us, he tells us what to do, and we don't do the next step until he tells us to do the next step. Because they're, they're in charge, we're not in charge. But we've been doing this for weeks. And so that you t- learn it by repetition, and so your body naturally just wants to go on to the next step. And so as you're going through the steps, all I remember is this part where your weapon is on safe, and then you're supposed to click it to semi. And, and so we'd gone through it so many times, so he said, pull the charging handle back, clear the weapon, and the next step is move your selector from safe to semi. He didn't say change the selector from safe to semi. And then the loudest click you had ever heard in the world <laughs> was me clicking from safe to semi. And he said, who just, who just moved their weapon? He said, everybody put your weapons out. And we all had to hold our weapons out like this. And he walked down and he found me. He goes, they call, I won't tell you all the names they called me. With a name like Crachunas, man, you're going to get it. And he said, get down. And I was like, oh. And so then I get down, right? And I just start pushing. Oh, I'm just pushing. Just push up. Just, I just keep going, man. I'm pushing. I'm going. Now, the thing is that pushes are part of the PT test, right? And there's only a few authorized resting positions. Knees can't touch the ground. Either butt in the air or sag like this. So I'm just down there and I'm just pushing. I'm pushing. Now, as I'm there, you say this. You say, drill sergeant, permission to recover? And he said, no, just keep pushing. Oh, I'm just, just keep pushing. Now, I'm not going to do any more because there's a third service coming up. But... Uh, I, I, I kid you not, I literally did push-ups for like a half an hour. I said to the drill sergeant, I said, drill sergeant, I want to quit, man. I said, I'm trying to kill that PT test tomorrow. He said, you should have thought of that before you didn't follow the directions. 25 years later, I don't remember the guy, I don't remember the test. All I remember is that my bad decision was the dividing line between my success 
I hadn't set the rules. I had broke the rules. First Peter 3.18 For Christ also suffered once for sins, for the just and the unjust, that He might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but alive by the Spirit. The rule that nobody goes to heaven except through Jesus is a rule that cannot be broken. Yeah. Whew, a loud breath. <gasps> <laughs> Sunday's supposed to be a rest day. <laughs> the offense of the cross is offensive because it says that you need to uh, repent. Yeah. Now, repent is a really fancy Bible word that says that you need to live differently. See, hearing the story of Easter and then doing nothing with it profits you nothing. Just came down and hung out, man. We had a, had a good Easter service. And it's offensive, man. It's offensive that you may not know me, or even if you do know me, and, and, and get this idea that I'm trying to tell you to live differently. But I'm not telling you that you need to live differently. The Bible is telling you that you need to live differently. The Bible says that without Christ, the way you're living is wrong. That your life is going in one selfish direction. And the cross screams, that's the wrong way. Turn around. And again, the Bible word for that is repentance. If you're not living for Jesus Christ, you are living for yourself and you're living in your sin. The Bible says that you're dead in your sin and that the wrath of God rests upon you. Matthew 9, 13, but go and learn what this means. Jesus speaking, I desire mercy and not sacrifice. For I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. See, the arrival and life of Jesus was to, to highlight to people that how they were living was wrong. Worshiping the wrong thing. Loving the wrong way. Hearts filled with envy, greed, and anger. Self-justified, self-centered, exploitive living at the expense of other people. See, people live in this world and they say, well, I'm not a murderer. I'm, I, I don't kill anybody. Then that, that punches my ticket to heaven, right? No. Evil thoughts will keep you out of heaven without Jesus Christ. Evil intentions in your heart will keep you out of heaven without Jesus Christ. And so Jesus says, turn. Luke 13, 5, I tell you no, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. See, the view of the Bible, if you would read it, is that if, if, if you're either living in the direction of God or for yourself, you can't have it both ways. The proposition of Jesus is live for yourself and die or live for me and live. That's the proposition of Jesus. And so if you're going in the wrong direction, the Bible says that you need to make a 180 and make a total and complete different direction. Like I told you guys, when I was in the army after basic training, I went to AIT and then I was, uh, actually that's where Crystal and I met um, down in San Antonio. And uh, we met married very fast. We met in January of 98, and then we got married the first week of June. Because I'm a closer. Amen? I do, uh, I had to do it, listen man, you got to do it quick before she can change her mind. You know what I mean? For whatever reason, she wanted all my $800 a month that I was getting from the army. So we came up here to get married and, and we had a nice church wedding on a Friday. We had to report to Fort Hood on Monday. So we had a two day honeymoon at the Salish Lodge at Snoqualmie. And so way back in 1998 in the dark ages, 
we, we left the uh, church and then we got my mom's car and we started driving up I-90 to go to Snoqualmie Falls. And back then, Snoqualmie Ridge hadn't been built yet. Uh, you had to go through North Bend and kind of double back to get to Snoqualmie Falls. But there was, uh, the road had actually been cut in at the end of Highway 18 to go over the top of Snoqualmie Ridge because that was the first thing they put in. They hadn't built a house. They hadn't put in a street light. Nothing. It was just a road. It's my wedding night, right? I mean, come on, let's uh, get more direction to the uh, honeymoon, right? <laughs> and so we turn left and we start going on Snoqualmie Ridge. We're going up over the top. We're coming down. And we're just, we're just driving, right? We're just going. And uh, this car comes up super fast behind us in the dark because there's not a street light. There's not one out there. And I said to Crystal, I said, "Man, this guy's either being a real jerk or he's the cops." Lights came on. It was the cops. <laughs> and. Uh, now, I remember it, I remember it differently than Crystal does, but I'm preaching, so I'm going to tell my version. <laughs> so I pop out of the car. No, I'm just kidding. No. So, so he comes up to the side and I hand him my driver's license and I hand him my military ID, right? I mean, man, I missed that thing. <laughs> and so he grabs it and he goes, yeah, proof of insurance. And, and we're in my mom's car. Crystal's rifling through. We can't seem to find anything. And, and, and so she's starting to get worried. She's crying a little bit. And I said, sir, I am so sorry. I said, I'm in the military and I'm on my honeymoon. We just got married. I'm just trying to get to my honeymoon, man. He said, I'll be right back. So he, he goes back to his car and he was there for, it seemed like a day. And then he, (laughs) and then he comes back. Apparently, I was going 75 into 25, you know, I, 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 I remember it. I remember, is it like 55? Crystal says it was 75. And, and I, I didn't know it till that evening, but double the speed limit can earn you a night in jail. And so the, the officer says to me, he goes, how would you think that your commander would like it if I put you in jail on your wedding night and that he had to call for you Monday morning? I said, probably not that well at all. He gave me a good tongue lashing for a few minutes and told me how bad I was and everything else. But the message was very clear. If you're going to be out there on my roads, you've got to drive the way that I want you to drive. You better change. Acts 3.19, repent therefore and be converted that your sins may be blotted out so that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. See, the offense of the cross isn't that we're all filled with sin. The, The offense of the cross isn't that there's only one way to heaven. The offense of the cross isn't just that we need to repent. The most offensive part of the cross of Christ, which this world does not agree with, is that anybody can be saved. See, we live in a world of judgment and punishment. We, we arrest people, we convict people, we imprison people, we fine people. We, we, our justice, justice system loves to put labels on people. See, you, you can go to prison, pay your debt for, to society, but come out and then you carry a label of felon or whatever crime that you did for the rest of your life. There truly is no clean slate after you've done something. I mean, read comments to news stories. People say things like, I hope that person rots in hell. Or, you know, they don't deserve to be forgiven. People say things like, I could never forgive a person like that. The ethos of America is not an ethos of forgiveness. It's an ethos of punishment. 
Because even after you've done your time, they still bring up your past. They still see you as your mistakes. They still treat you poorly because of what you have done. The ethos of America is to get a pound of flesh, not forgiveness. And that's why the most offensive part of the cross is that anyone can be accepted by Jesus Christ and forgiven of their sins. Any sin, any time, any circumstance. There's not one of you in this room that are outside the grace of God. If you would turn your heart towards Him, turn the direction of your life, Christ will forgive you and it receive you as a son and a daughter. Yes, you might suffer the earthly penalties, but God, God will still fully forgive anyone who comes to Him in true faith asking for forgiveness. I tell you, man, I've been a Christian since uh, 1990. And this is one of the most scandalous things about the gospel. That somebody can live a horrible, disgusting, despicable life, come to Christ, be set free and made new. Because in my carnal mind, it doesn't make any sense. But in Jesus Christ, it makes total and complete sense. That he would take a, a vile person, restore them to a place of peace, set them free from the law of sin of death, make them a new creation, and then hold that person up as a shining example of his faithfulness. The Bible says in Romans ten thirteen, For whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. I remember a man by the name of Jeffrey Dahmer. And some of you remember him. He was, uh, he killed 17 people and he was sentenced to 900 years in prison. 16 consecutive life sentences. 16 consecutive life sentences. I found an article in the Christian Chronicle about Jeffrey Dahmer and his conversion behind the walls of the prison that he was in. It says, Booth contacted Roy Ratcliffe, minister of the Madison Church of Christ in Wisconsin. Ratcliffe set up weekly Bible lessons with Dahmer and baptized him on May 10th, 1994. Ratcliffe later shared that Dahmer told him he had been fearful of the minister's visit. The minister said he dreaded what I might say. Dahmer said, I was afraid you would say, no, you're too evil. You're too sinful. I can't baptize someone like you. Matthew 19, 25, when his disciples heard it, they were greatly astonished saying, who then can be saved? But Jesus looked at them and said, with men, this is impossible. But with God, all things are possible. We serve a God who loves everyone, will forgive anyone, and will receive anyone that turns to Him in faith. It doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter where you've been. It doesn't matter what you've taken part in. If you come to the cross in faith, turning away from your sin, and placing your faith in Jesus, you will be forgiven. And then God can use you as a shining example of His faithfulness. 
The Bible says in Romans 10, 9 and 10, that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness and with the mouth confession is made into salvation. But, but, but a mouth that confesses and a heart that believes with a life that hasn't been turned isn't truly a confession and isn't truly a belief. See, Paul, uh, in the New Testament, he used to crucify Christians and then he got converted and then he was used by God to write most of the New Testament. And you may be asking yourself as you're sitting here this morning, can can God forgive a person like me? The Bible screams a resounding yes. Yes, he can. And you say, well, pastor, what do I need to do? You need to admit that you need a savior. You need to admit, you need to admit that, that, that you're filled with infection and you need to be made clean. But it's not enough to just admit it. You have to take your life and you have to turn it and say, not only do I want to be forgiven, Jesus, I want to live for you now. I want to leave that life of sin. I don't, don't want to live that way anymore. Confess him as your Lord. Turn away from your past way of living and live his way and not your way. Jesus died on the cross for your sin. He rose from the grave to prove he was God so that you could be set free from the law of sin and death. Amen? Amen. Amen. Would you close your eyes? Would you bow your heads? I want to do something a little bit different this morning. With every eye closed and with every head bowed, would you please stand with me this morning as we close? Now this morning... I would be remiss to to preach to you a message about the cross and not give you an opportunity to respond to it. And it's really quite easy. Either you're living for Jesus or you're not. Either you've been set free or you haven't. Either you've asked him for forgiveness or you haven't. And there is no better day than today to declare, I am ready to live for Jesus. And you don't even have to be ready, man. The Holy Spirit will take you over and you're going to, Get a new creation and a new life in Jesus Christ. And if you've never made that decision before and you'd like to make that for the very first time, I want you to raise your hand right now and say, I'm ready to give my life to Jesus. Is there anybody that needs to do that today? Hand held high. Don't let this moment pass. Now for the rest of us, I don't know what the Lord spoke to you this morning. Maybe, maybe you're one of those people and you're saying, well, man, he said first time, I just want to rededicate my life. You can do that this morning. Maybe there's an area of your life that you, you need to confess some sin and say, God, I, I just need to walk in your grace and mercy in this area. Just confess that to him this morning. But don't let this day pass without making things right between you and God. Father, we thank you for your grace and mercy. God, we thank you that you're a God that sets free, that you're a God that forgives And God, I thank you for the cross. I thank you that I've been redeemed. I thank you that I've been set free. Father, we praise you and we thank you this morning. In the mighty name of Jesus and all God's people said, Amen. Amen, amen.